0: Hi, it's Sasha here. You're listening to the 18th episode of Dear Seekers, a bi-weekly podcast featuring entreating and inspiring women in the city. Here on the podcast, we share their stories, the hardships and detours they've experienced, and the joy, lessons, and wisdom they have gained. And on our website, we offer a window into the lives of these intriguing women, getting to know them in an intimate way, in the homes they live in, the objects they choose to surround themselves with, and the clothes they wear. Today's guest is Maro Enfield the beauty and the brain behind the one and only Mama Loves You Vintage. Located on the busy Queen Street, the store has not only become one of the must-visit attractions in the city for tourists who seek hidden local gems, it has also gained popularity among many of the seekers we feature, including our first guest, Stephanie Ayop, owner of Bonsai Studio, and the most recent feature, Amber Joliet creator of the misfit studio and myself is also one of the long-term customers of mama loves you the store is definitely an extension of mara herself she is always seeking for the exotic the rare the colorful and the old born and raised in vancouver Mari is now calling Toronto her home. I am so honored to be sitting on the couch with Maro in her charismatic apartment in Kensington Market to chat about how she got introduced to vintage, how the store got started, and we'll also touch upon our takes on fast fashion and ended up bonding over true crime documentaries. It's very difficult to not be fascinated by Maro and the dream world she's offering the world.
1: Back then, we didn't have a lot of money. We, were, we didn't grow up with a lot of anything. And my earliest memories and vintage is we would go, we would take like the Skytrain, which is our equivalent of the subway, and we'd go to like the middle of nowhere outside of Vancouver, and we'd go to the value villages. And back then, they were so good. And I was more like the person to carry the stuff that my mom found. I didn't really appreciate it at the time. But we'd go and spend hours there and she would buy all this amazing stuff and find all this amazing stuff and we'd bring it back to the city and she would either sell it or she would consign it. And that's really how I got introduced to the world of vintage. She always tells me the story, like she went to the Salvation Army with me and like it was like the junky basement and you'd go through and you'd find like this antique something or other that you'd pay like a nickel for and then she walked up to the antique store that she was working at and she'd sell it for like enough money to go and then buy dinner. You know what I mean? Like it was always like, like if you knew what you were looking for and you appreciated something and a pile of garbage, you could really like get enough for dinner, (laughs) I guess. This amazing vintage collector in Vancouver, he's more of a historian. Ivan Sayers, and he has these vintage sales at his house, and it's, like, this tiny little house that he lives in, and he has, like, one of the biggest collections of, like, antique vintage in, like, the country, and, like, he would have these amazing sales, and, like, I remember it was very, like, you only can go if you know the right people, and she would bring me, I was, like, a little tiny kid, and I would sit on the couch, and she would just go around, like, almost, like, competitively, like, (laughs) finding the good stuff, and I would just be, like, the person to, like, hold it in place, like, it would just become this pile of clothes, and just my eyes would be, like peeking out of the top.
0: That was how the little Mara got introduced to the world of vintage. Of course, in retrospect, Mara really appreciates that her mom opened up the door to her, which ultimately led to the store Mama Loves You, the name and the concept. But back then, finding vintage, selling vintage, was a way of feeding the family, which the little Mara didn't fully understand and appreciate.
1: I was always dressed in vintage as a little kid, and then there's that moment when you're like 12 or whatever, you're like, no, I just want all the new cool stuff that everyone else has.
0: Her wish for new clothes wasn't granted, but her appreciation for vintage started growing.
1: I was very, very shy as a kid, and I remember realizing it was like a way to like be interesting without having to say anything. In high school, like I was able to like express my, it's such a cliche, like able to express myself without saying anything and not be this like silent wallflower. Like, and then when I started wearing vintage and wearing different clothes in high school, people would be like, Oh, there's Maro. Like they knew who I was without me having to say anything. And that's when I really realized that. So
0: that was the switch or the transformation. Mm -hmm.
1: I think it's because I was so shy and like I was able to form some sort of identity.
0: Vintage has helped Maro gain confidence and a sense of self. And if she starts working in vintage stores during and after high school. But besides her love of vintage, nothing in sight is clear to her.
1: was working at a consignment store and I was going to school at this like community college just taking a couple classes and I was really depressed and just really sad and just really stuck and I didn't know what I wanted to do and I was at work one day and I think I was like crying or something and this girl who worked was working there Alex who actually lives in Toronto now she's from Toronto and she pulled me aside she's like are you okay like what do you what do you want to do with your life like what do you want to do I'm like I don't know (laughs) and my best friend Tamara had told me about Ryerson and she wanted to do the photography program there. And then I remember looking into the fashion room I'm like, wow, this seems really cool. There's nothing like this in Vancouver where you could get a degree in fashion. It didn't exist at the time. I don't know if it does now. So I had looked into that program. and I wanted to do it. But I'm like, oh, how would I ever move across the city or not the city, the country? So I just sort of pushed it out of my head. And we went out for dinner that night. Me and Alex, she's like, no, like, you can do this. Like, she's like, I had a sister that helped me do this. And Nick, like, you don't have anyone. So I'm going to help you. So, like, we went out for coffee, and, like, she helped me with my application, and the application was due in, like, two weeks, and I had to, like, pull together this application from, like, nothing, and, and, uh, and I got in, and I didn't tell anyone that I was applying because I was, I was so nervous about getting excited for something, and then after I got in, I told everyone, I'm moving to Toronto, and I'd never been here before, I moved here by myself with one suitcase, got off the plane by myself, and I was like, oh, great, this is my home now, and. I never thought if I was going to stay or not, I was just going to see what would happen. And the city's been so good to me. Like, the people I've met, the friendships I've made, it's like a big hug. <laughs> <laughs> I love Toronto. It's. I find it really easy to meet people here. Like, you can just start a, a conversation with someone and people are very friendly and it's easy to talk to people. And some people would argue that, but growing up in Vancouver, it's very small. It's like a small town that's really pretending to be a big city.
0: Where, which city? Vancouver. Oh, you grew up in Vancouver mm-hmm. because it's just like a small city. I thought it was like somewhere.
1: It is a small Vancouver. city. It is. Like I grew up in like the, the heart of the city and it's, it's very small. So you go to like a bar and like it's always the same people and it's the same thing. And there's like one thing to do that night that everyone's at. And the thing that I love about Toronto is like I can feel anonymous sometimes, but I can also like walk down the street and like wave to like regulars or friends or people I've seen just depends the day. I don't know. Like, I love Toronto. <laughs> fashion school such a different like they really drill like fashion and industry and making connections and it just network. networking and I was like oh like still also being pretty shy even when after before I graduated I was like what am I gonna do like I'm so shy I don't know if I'm gonna like how am I supposed to network and meet people and I just hated that whole idea of networking and having it be so unnatural like schmoozing like and now, af- oh, and now after opening the store, like I've met so many amazing people and there's such this like, amazing community of creative, interesting people. And it's like, well, networking just comes naturally. Like, but it was weird in school because they really, like... They make it seem like it's this thing you have to really try and, like, fake. And I'm like, no, if you're just a genuine, nice person, like you're going to meet like-minded people and you're going to want to collaborate. And it's going to be like this organic collaboration. It doesn't have to be this forced thing. So that kind of bothered me in school. Um what was your question? (laughs) I could could see see you
0: like kind of like just thinking about something else and
1: then I no idea what your question is. Yeah.
0: no I was Does that happen a lot? No. It's so funny. It's just gonna Um, stay in here. Yes. (laughs) But Question was you know, like we were talking about before you graduated yeah. in this circle of not knowing what you want mm-hmm. to do mm-hmm. and a little bit confused and so yeah maybe just share more about what happened then.
1: Well, I remember the day I decided I was going to open a store. I was taking a streetcar. I lived at Dundas and Dufferin and I was going to class, which Ryerson campus is around Young and Dundas, and I remember being on the streetcar, and I remember where I was sitting on the streetcar. Like, sitting on like the left side, right by the door, by myself, and I remember the idea just popped into my head, and then it never left. And I'm a very stubborn person, like if I decide I'm going to do something, I do it. It's like, I'm going to open a store, and then pretty much from that moment, I was, okay, let's figure out how to do this. And
0: Your mom was still in Vancouver at that
1: time. My mom was in Vancouver, and I had talked to her about it, and she was buying for a store was this actually, so I started working at Used, which I worked there at the Vancouver location. And then when they opened up in Toronto, I started working for the Toronto location. Like, I was one of the first people working there when they opened. And she was buying for Used out of Vancouver. She was buying the clothing. And I was working for Used doing retail. And I was like, this is silly. Like, why don't we do this ourselves? I approached the idea to her and she was like, yeah, that's amazing. But she was still Vancouver. It was decided, like, she would do the buying, and then I would guess I'd figure out the rest. <laughs> so I was 22, and I started like writing a business plan. I got well, over how did it. you
0: get that idea of writing a business
1: plan? I don't know. I think I bought like How to Open a Business for Dummies, and I was like, "Like a 22 year old kid who like doesn't know how to do anything. Super shy, still trying to figure it out." So <laughs> I think it was a lot of Google. A lot of like, how do you do this? How do you do that? Like, I'm a real estate agent, you know? Like, I started viewing properties. It's really funny because no one really took me seriously. And I think a lot of the people felt better about the fact that I was opening this business because my mom was attached. And it was like, oh, like, the mom's really doing all this stuff. It was really funny. But really, it was like I was the one who was making the decisions. (laughs) At a lot of properties around the city. I really wanted to open on Queen Street because where I had worked before used was on Queen Street, and before that I worked at American Apparel, which was also on Queen Street.
0: Oh wow. And I just knew that block. That blo- big store right beside mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. Right, right yeah.
1: Beside, but- and then used was right beside that. So I knew that block really, really well, and I knew the foot traffic that was possible. So I felt very confident in that block. I looked at a couple other places. I looked at Kensington, I looked in Ossington. I looked up on college. Um, but I really was really stubborn about Queen Street.
0: How did you gain the the confidence? I mean, you talk about because you work on the blocks, Mm -hmm. you know, the food traffic, Mm -hmm. that could probably add a little bit of confidence to you opening a store and then choosing the prime location. Mm -hmm. But what else also contributed to that? Because as 22 years old, trying to have like a grand location, that's Mm -hmm. almost impossible to even think about.
1: Even thinking about it now, I get overwhelmed. I think I was just so... Stubborn. I was like, this is what I have to do. And there weren't any other options for me in my life at that point. I was like, there was no other plan. So all of my attention, all of my time was devoted to that. So
0: I want you to take me through that day when you finally pick the location you're mm-hmm. right now do you remember the day you actually oh, yeah. <laughs> went to that space?
1: So I had this amazing real estate agent Beata and she was so great and she just she really like believed in me and she was so confident in me and I'm so thankful that I had her and she really was looking out for me which was great because I was alone in this whole process like my mom didn't come to Toronto until the, like the lease was signed so I was working on the next block used and then Mama Loves You Before was the Leslieville cheese shop that's what it's called yeah and I saw a release there I was like wow and I looked in and it had like these beautiful old wood floors and high tin ceilings and it was on the next one like, this place is amazing so I told her I'm like I need to see this space and we saw it as quick as we could and it was so like gross and worn down inside but the bones were so amazing and just what I wanted and She's like, are you sure? Are you are you sure you want something? This is what I want. This is this is the spot. I just love, like, yeah, like, the the building was built in 1880s. And I just love the history in it. It was perfect for a vintage store. Like, the, the floors are original, like, old and creaky. And the ceilings haven't been lowered, like, next door. It's the same building. And they've lowered their ceilings, like, sometime in the 80s, probably. Why would it do that? I don't know. <laughs> but, like, the original tin ceilings are there. And, like, it was so beautiful. And, yeah, I, I really love the space. And a couple years ago, my ex-boyfriend, he went to the reference library and he was like, oh, I'm going to research the space and you can look up certain years of Toronto and then look up the address. So he did it and we discovered like in the 20s, it was like a bicycle shop. In the 40s, it was a barber shop with billiards in the back room. It was a candy shop. I wrote down the whole list. Um I love the barbershop one. That was great. So that was really cool. And I put it in chronological order and i gave it to my landlord he didn't even know all this stuff was in there and i was like this is i got so excited i love like learning about the history of spaces and he loved it he really appreciated it too and like i love that you can get a space like that in toronto that has such a long history and that you can actually go and research it i've tried to find photos of the space i've looked on like every old toronto photo page and the oldest one i could find was from the 70s and it was cole's furniture store which was owned by my landlord's wife's father. Oh, wow. So it was still, like, in the family then, and across from it was, like, still the Kentucky Fried Chicken that is today, but it's, like, the vintage Kentucky Fried Chicken, like, the old colonel. Like, (laughs) that's the oldest photo I could find at the store. I wish I could find photos of it in the 40s. That would have been so cool, but... And then we had to do the whole, like, put in the offer, wait for the response, blah, 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 and it was just a lot of paperwork, and I learned a lot about real estate and commercial leases and all this fun stuff what was the
0: major thing you learned
1: just how much paperwork is involved (laughs) how much going back and negotiating and stuff so that was very valuable and yeah the day I got the keys was like I just remember like they met up me there they gave me the keys and I was like all right (laughs) I was like what do I do now (laughs) I just started cleaning. <laughs> what
0: was that day like? Was it sunny or is it like
1: a raining day? Oh, I, it must have been early. Which month? It next? was early December 2012. Oh, yeah, so it was in December. Mm-hmm. We opened December 22nd, 2012, and I got the keys December 1st.
0: Wow, yeah. you opened it qu- so quickly. I mean, you had to. I, I do, get yeah. Christmas
1: well, shopping. we we were gonna open in February, and then but. Because we're like, oh, January is the worst month to open, and we worked our butts off. My mom lived at the store when we were setting up. She came in from and she like lived there, like <laughs> so gross What um, did she
0: think about it? She loved
1: January? the space. She, like we have the same taste, which makes us running a business together so easy. Like we like the same stuff. We agree on everything. So yeah, I got the keys and just started nesting. <laughs> But it's so funny to look at photos of the store back then. It was so bare and it was gray and it was so empty. And she's like, I want it to be very minimal. And now I'm like, no, it's pink. And it feels so much more like my store compared to back then. It it took a while for it to become what it is. I really enjoy the clothes. Like it really comes down to the clothes and like being able to like get new stock and find something and research it and learn about it. It's really like – it's really rewarding and every day is different because you get something new and every day – and my mom's doing the buying so she'll ship it across this country to um, Toronto. I'll open the box and then it's like there's all this amazing stuff and it's like I don't see it as like a product. Price it and you put it out. Like I I like to get the item and I like to research it and sometimes I'll spend like hours just researching this one item and then I'm like, wait, what am I doing? (laughs) Like – I don't know. I view it as more like an education a lot of the time. Like, it's really fun for me to be able to like get new things, especially things I've never seen before, and to learn about them. And
0: but do you feel like you might lose that sense of like thrill when you because your mom's doing all the buying, mm-hmm. and would you sometimes want to also get into the buying side as well?
1: <laughs> it's really hard work. Like so- it's very hard. Like she wakes up at like five thirty in the morning. She takes a bus. She takes a sky train, and then she takes another bus to these warehouses, and she picks through piles of clothes, and it's very physical work, and she does it about four or five times a week, and it takes her, like, about an hour and a half to get to work every day, and then an hour and a half back, and very, like, physical sorting, and she works really hard, and you have to really look at a lot, a lot of bad stuff to find something that's amazing. People think you go there, and you just, like, buy all this amazing stuff. I'm like, no, you have to look at, like, a thousand things to find, like, one nice thing, and it's kind of depressing. Like, you go to these places, and it's just full... Of fast fashion and it you just see like Joe Fresh and you see H&M and there's just no value in it and you could tell it was made just a couple years ago and it's just in this pile of garbage and it's it, it every time I go it makes me feel really shitty about the world like
0: let's talk about it
1: let's talk about that
0: <laughs> let's do let's, talk, let's get into it yeah, because do you want a sip of wine? yeah go ahead <laughs> I already had some going to continue later because as you even talk about you know back in the time vintage shopping was so much more different than now Mm -hmm. you know clothing then was actually well made but now many vintage pieces are fast fashion pieces how do you feel about this world right now with this all this fast fashion and then with where you are doing and what how can you contribute and all that kind of stuff
1: like fast fashion is just like – I think of it as like candy. It's like people just want like – they want that sweet little something right away and they just need it now. People go into these stores and they just buy this thing because it's trendy and they know they're going to throw it away and it's like, yeah, like you can go to H&M and get like a two ninety nine tank top. But like when I was in university, I used to go to H&M all the time and now I look in my closet and like where are all those clothes that I bought and where are all those clothes that I spent money on? They're all in like – the garbage or the thrift store or whatever. Like, I don't own anything that in vintage anymore because it all doesn't have any value. You wear it a couple times and then you're sick of it because it satisfied that, like, craving right away and then it's done. And there's no value anymore. Like, no one wants to own your shitty old ratty H&M tank top that you paid $2.99 for when you're done with it you buy like a 1930s like tank top that's been around since the 30s and like if I bought that I would wear it and like there's such a story with it and then when I'm done with it there's still going to be value and someone out there still going to want it It might even have more value when I'm done with it because it'll be even older like (laughs) so I think about really upsets me that like people people just want that fix they don't think about the long term and they don't think about like just going to end up in the trash like not even to mention, like, all that, like, I can't go into a mall without thinking about, like, all this stuff was just made by tiny little hands. Like, that's all I think about when I go in the mall, just tiny little children making this stuff, like, little hands. And I'm like, that doesn't bother you either. And, and then people come into my store and they're complaining that, like, oh, a 1940s dress is $150. I'm like, well, this has survived this long and has this story and is made so well. So I find a lot of the time I'm defending the pricing and I'm defending the clothes. Because people walk into my store and they think it's a thrift store, they so they think it's secondhand or they think it's used, so it should be cheap. Mm-hmm. Like once I had someone come to like, why aren't your prices like Joe Fresh? I'm like, I'm sorry, like, oh, wow. like, and I had to be like, sorry, like, this isn't made by the factory that like fell apart on people. Like this is like really, I have to defend this yeah. stuff and my pricing to someone like that, like. So I, I do get frustrated, especially being on the block that I am. I'm between Joe Fresh and Urban Outfitters, so I get a lot of yeah. people who expect things to be in perfect condition and expect those prices. And
0: Many times, I think most of times, we don't understand, like even myself included, I didn't think about how much time, you know, how much effort I would go into just that one piece from your mom travel all the way to mm-hmm. dig all these piles of clothing to find that one yeah. dress to ship it to you, to you to clean and then to put a price tag. And even do research sometimes because you might not know every single piece where they're coming from and what's error. So all this work. It's so much work. So the long
1: process is her getting up early and going to these places and then she'll collect the stuff and then she'll do another edit and be like, what do we really need? What's really amazing? And then my dad will drive out to this suburb and – They'll pick it up, and they'll bring it back to my house, and my mom will wash everything. She does everything? She washes everything we can. I mean, you can't wash, like, a leather jacket, but, well, anything that can be thrown in the washer and dryer. She's like, my washer and dryer are going to break any day now because that's – we wash everything. Their hydro bill's crazy. (laughs) And then she packages it up, and then they drive down to the Greyhound station, and then it goes on the bus, and then it comes and arrives in, like, a week and a half later, and then I unbox it. And then a lot of things, if they're not washed there, if they're older pieces, I'll hand wash them or I'll like spot treat them or oxy clean them. And then I do a lot of mending. I go through every item and if it needs to be mended, I'll do it myself. I have a box where I bring to my friend who's a tailor. So I get everything fixed. Everything is cleaned. Everything is steamed. And then I research stuff because I'm crazy. And And then it's merchandise, and then it's sold on Queen Street, which has ridiculous rent. And then people are like, why isn't this $10? And I'm like, you don't understand. (laughs) I (laughs) Sometimes I think about how much work it takes, and I'm like, well, we're nuts. Like, But not to say, like, every other vintage store in the city is working just as hard. It's a very hard business, because you have to work your butt off, and you have to constantly defend your pricing and your business model to people who don't understand, and we're all working the same level. I'm not working harder than anyone else out there. Like, yeah.
0: but I mean, it's important to talk about it and then to showcase, mm-mm. you know, how much hard work is mm-hmm. behind it. Mm-hmm. So, in a way, to justify the price tag, yeah, because it's just... beyond just, just the, how well it yeah. was made.
1: We get a lot of people going, "Oh, I'll just go to Value Village and buy this." At least not the Value Village in Toronto. There's no vintage there anymore. Like, maybe if you're out in somewhere outside the city, there is. But I've gone to Value Village recently. There's nothing old there anymore. It's all. The same Joe Fresh, Urban Outfitters, American Eagle.
0: But that's another thing mm-hmm. about fast fashion, right? In 30 years, 1970s are vintage, but maybe in, like, 40 years, like, 2000. It's that cr- consider, I know. will come to the vintage. Well, there's some but stores then- in the
1: city that do sell early 2000s stuff, and yeah. they call it modern vintage. It's, like, a new thing because vintage is changing. And, right. I mean, we have a rack of 90s dresses. I would never have thought that that would have been vintage, but it is. Yeah. And the quality of stuff now is... I, I can't imagine it in a, in a similar store in, like, 20, 30 years. But yeah. who knows what's going to happen. And
0: Have you watched the documentary True Cost? Or True
1: no, Cost but people keep telling me to. I need to watch it. I think I just need to. I
0: couldn't stop crying. I watched it three times. Three times? Oh okay, that's what I'm doing tonight. You have to watch it. It's about fast fashion, right? Yeah. yeah. You, like, you have to get yourself emotionally ready for it. Yeah. It's, it is really yeah. depressing. I couldn't stop crying. Like, just this desire of wanting more and yeah. more. Yeah, yeah and then of course like people are like okay oh, donate we we don't if we don't it's all end there's up too high, much like, there's too DNA much And all these countries mm-hmm. don't need a, mm-hmm. our clothes anymore mm-hmm. they don't need this like 2.99 H&M t- top they don't need those mm-hmm. and then also destroying their manufacturing mm-hmm. there as well because yeah. people there don't produce and they yeah. just get these like yeah. cheaply made clothing yeah so anyway i'm getting angry as well <laughs> <laughs> I like, oh, of course, like I admit, right? Like uh-huh. back in the time, I was shopping H and M before I was twenty. Yeah. But now, like, no way. I don't mm-hmm. even walking like Zara, yeah. to, like all these well, stores.
1: I mean, not even to mention like all those stores like ripping off designers and ripping off like artists and stuff. That's a whole other thing. the 40s I like the 40s I like all I like lots of decades <laughs> I don't want to pick favorites
0: but
1: yeah what is your favorite which era mine it's the 40s
0: <laughs> uh, right, well, sure. so why Why? well I,
1: I really like 40s fashion I like wearing it like all my favorite pieces that I own are all from the 40s uh, I mean it was a time when like the world was at war You had to make do in men's, like you had to work with what you had. It's a big change from women's fashion, like women finally started wearing pants. So like all my favorite pants are like 1940s pants, or they're all like high-waisted, flared leg. Like I have some 1940s jumpsuits, like if they started wearing jumpsuits, or I have some 1940s like play suits. Like just things started to change. Also with dresses I love, there's such a blending of masculine because the women's dresses were kind of mimicking this, like, military aesthetic. But there's also feminine. There's a lot of ways they tried to include femininity into these masculine dresses. They're just new techniques, like peplums. And a lot of things were changing and happening for women's fashion. And just yeah. things that I appreciate,
0: I guess. And what's your second favorite?
1: Probably the 30s. Wow. Oh. oh, it's hard. Oh, oh, oh. I like the teens too, but I wear less of it. I feel like I love all the like the Oh, it's so hard. <laughs> I like 30s too. I really love like long 30s, like bias cut dresses. Like I really like the deck. It doesn't really look great on me. I feel like 40s dresses are look better on me. But I love selling 30s dresses. I love people coming to the store and trying them on. They look can look so beautiful and flattering on so many different body types. Not a fan of the 50s, and whenever I say that people are so horrified. <laughs> Oh, the fifties.
0: <laughs> like
1: it's just it? too girl. I mean, I ha- I have fifties stuff. I like. I like it on the right people, but on me, I don't. It's just a little too like girly, like too cutesy.
0: <laughs>
1: I yeah. Okay, I'm gonna like badmouth decades. No, they're all my favorite decades. <laughs> it's like my children.
0: <laughs> but it's kind of interesting because you talk about you love researching about history, the fashion tie up to the its, it's era. So like I mean vintage always run into your blood.
1: <laughs> vintage in my blood.
0: <laughs> I can see it in your brain. <laughs> but when did you actually got very in, intrigued by all these like era tied up to its fashion, like this correlation between back then and how people just to express that Reflect that
1: time period. I mean, I really started, like, looking more into, like, the history of it after I opened the store. Like, I really loved vintage before, but I think I was more interested in, like, 60s and 70s. And also, like, through, through Instagram has been so amazing, because it's like, people will post things, and I follow so many amazing people, and they'll, a lot of the time, they'll tell like, say what it is, and they'll give, like, a history about, like, what it is, and you can learn so much just through that app. It's amazing. There's so much information online. Like, you can, like, look up a label and be, like, then look up a zipper, and... Like, me and my friends were, like, talking about, like, a fucking zipper for, like, three days this week. They're, like, is it 40s? Is it 50s? Is it 40s? Is it 50s? I'm, like, we are such nerds. Like, but I know so little compared to some people. I really do. I feel like I'm just learning. That's the other thing I love about vintage is you keep learning something new and just when you think you know it all, which I've never claimed to. Like, you learn something else and then you learn something else about a t-shirt and then you learn something about a suit and then you learn something about this clutch that they use on a bag and there's so much to learn. What did
0: you learn this week?
1: <laughs> I'm trying to think. You'd have to look at my search history on my computer. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't end. Like you'll get like a label, and you're like, "Oh, when was this made?" And you just fall down the rabbit hole of the internet. Yeah. But I love that there's so much information out there. There's a lot of wrong information too, because it's a, a lot of the time it's just the blind leading the blind. But <laughs> yeah, it's it's really fun to be able but to. How know. did you
0: know when is real, when is fake? Like, how did you do all your fact check and stuff? Because now you're, like, all your, all your labels are, like, it's there. So you could miss Like, people. how to date something? Yeah. I
1: mean, there's – people ask me that a lot. Like, oh, how do you date this dress? Or how do you do this? And, I mean, there's simple things to know. Like, oh, like, the 30s was mostly snaps on the side. And then the 40s, it was a zipper with, like, a little staple at the top. And then in the 50s, it was, like, a zipper on the side and then in the back. And then in the 60s, it was a nylon zipper in the back. Like, little things oh, Wow. kind of – give you these brackets to date stuff but then you can also date stuff based on like fabric and the way something is cut and like a trim that wasn't used at the time or looking at even the font of a label can help date something or you look at how something was finished was it surged or was it hemmed or was there a ribbon hem or there's all these things but then you also have to remember like just because something's like a 40s style like it still could have been made in like the early 50s like people get stuck Sometimes people are stuck in an era a couple decades back. <laughs>
0: <Indeed>. <laughs> if you ever shopping Mama Loves You and happen to see Mara there, you will probably find it quite interesting that Mara's compliments usually are not about you, but the pieces in her store. Instead of saying like, oh, I love that dress on you, or you look beautiful in that jumpsuit, she usually will put her focus on the garment itself, this is how she will express. Oh, that dress is beautiful. That jumpsuit is from the 40s. So well made.
1: My friends always make fun of me because they're like, Mara, you, you care so much about these clothes. I sold this dress to a friend of mine recently, and instead of being like, oh, I hope she's enjoying the dress, I think I said, I really hope that dress is enjoying her. No. Like- <laughs> I think that's a big problem with me is that I care so much about the clothes. Like, I personify clothes. Like, all the clothes have these, like, little personalities and they're all, like, they're like my babies. I'm like, I really hope, like, you go to a good home and they take good care of you and they appreciate you for what you are. I don't think that's helping my business. I
0: think it is helping. I don't know. Like,
1: I really care about the clothes. Yeah.
0: Because people can see, can sense that. Mm -hmm. And I think, like, it's, it's
1: not all about making a sale. Like, I'd rather go to a good home. Okay, that, I'm not sure. Yeah, it's probably not <laughs> helping my business. Like, I remember when we first opened, like, the first couple of months there, it was like this amazing, like, I think it was like a turn of the century, like, Chinese silk skirt that I would think I was charging, like, nothing for. And this woman picked it up and she's like, I think I'm gonna cut it up and make a pillowcase out of the embroidery. And I was like, you, you, you can't buy it. No, uh-huh. no. I'm sorry. Like, you can't, you can't, you can't buy it. <laughs> And then she kind of laughed and was like, oh, okay, you're right. So it's not like I was preventing her from buying it, but I had to be like, no, I can't. Like, it's survived over a hundred years for you to turn into a pillowcase. Like, I can't.
0: But in a way, in a pillowcase now, the pillowcase is with her every night.
1: Well, she didn't end up buying it. I think I convinced her not to buy it. It's just really funny. That is
0: funny. (laughs) Actually that's a question I wanted to ask, but I forgot and like, now kinda of lead to it. Is that another thing about vintage shopping is like all these clothes I've lived all these years, right? Mm-hmm. And then do you ever wonder like who were living in them before?
1: Sometimes. Sometimes I don't. And sometimes I, sometimes I forget and then I like you have to think about, like the energy. Like what happened in this item? Did something really bad happen? Did something really good happen? Like is this carrying some sort of like curse? <laughs> I don't believe in that stuff, but... You don't? I don't, but yeah, I no. do. I, <laughs> I do and I don't. Um, I think I have to just... I don't know. Yeah, it, it makes you wonder. Like, I wish that the items that you had had a story attached. Like, this bo- this belonged to blah, 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 and was made for her for this. And I mean, so rarely do we get to know the story behind stuff. Like, occasionally, I think for a couple times, we've had some wedding dresses come in. And they've had little notes attached, like it was made for this person on this day, because that's kind of something that people want to document, it's a wedding dress. So I think like maybe once or twice we've had that, or I had a quilt once come in, I think it was like from the 40s or the 50s, and it had a note attached, like this quilt was made from the pants of the sons of this family, like the old wool pants, and like, but so rarely do we get to know where the items come from.
0: Yeah, and it's kind of interesting now thinking about like, every week you unpack all these like shipments mm-hmm. from your mom it's almost like a christmas come early right
1: i know like today was my day off and elizabeth who's working in the store was like shipment came I'm like yes <laughs> that means tomorrow i'm gonna be like so having exactly having fun there's so many things i have like in the back room or in the basement that i'm like oh one day i'll get to that and it's just like i haven't got to it yet so yeah
0: because you only have 24 hours a day yeah
1: And 12 of that is netflix <laughs>
0: <laughs> what are you watching tonight
1: Forensic Files.
0: Oh, my God. I love it. I love it. Are you interested in, like, true crime stuff? Yes. Me too. I love it. I love it. It's so morbid.
1: It's so morbid.
0: What do you think about people loving true crimes?
1: I think we just get obsessed that, like, well, people can do this. People are capable of these things. And if that's so not your mentality, like, I think we're just so fascinated.
0: I was actually thinking of, like, starting, like, true crime meetup. True Talk about the staircase. <laughs> we just like. Did
1: he? Do you think believe in the owl theory? What
0: do you? What
1: did you watch the staircase? Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. What do you mean the owl? Theory? Oh,
1: you can g- Google that when you get home. The owl theory. No,
0: no. Tell me. I can Like, it's, it's all about like my... if
1: there's this theory that the an owl attacked her. Google it. Yeah. This what? is just Google it. <laughs>
0: I don't believe that.
1: That's what I said, and then I googled it. And then you. Yeah, there was like feathers in her hair, and like hair in her hand and feathers that they found and there was blood outside and there was blood on the doorway and then the marks on her head matched talon
0: marks but they never talk about that yet. no
1: they don't that's a, that's a, that's also a few, because they f- they found all that, all that stuff out um after any new evidence was admissible it sounds oh. like bullshit but i believe
0: did you watch the making of a murder? yeah yeah that would make me so angry i know he did it you think he did it? Yeah. No he didn't <laughs> Oh, we're gonna stir a fight here. You think he did? Now I have to watch it
1: again. I have to watch it again. It's been a while.
0: Where can you find the forensic files? Trial? It's on Netflix. Have you watched a confession tapes?
1: Oh, where they confessed to murders they didn't co- or crimes they didn't commit. I watched a couple, and they were it was really depressing. Oh, he's really really depressing. sad because all these people go to jail for things they didn't do. It's yeah. really really depressing.
0: And it's their relatives or people who mm-hmm. really close to them got murdered. They yeah,
1: I process. know. It's really sad. Yeah. I watched a couple, and I was like, I can't watch this.
0: Yeah, it's too sad. Too sad. Okay, on... The- <laughs> How do we get over here?
1: <laughs> Is this going to make the cut? I think I'm
0: going to put it in. Yeah, the it, blooper it, reel. I love this stuff. Okay, are you ready for the rapid fire? I'm scared. What if I don't? I don't wanna, do. wanna so fun. <laughs> okay. Something weird about you that not many people know of.
1: I, all my, well, my friends know. I'm obsessed with the show Friends. Like, obsessed <laughs> with it. Me too! High five! No, whatever obsession you have with Friends, I went <laughs> Really? I watch it every day, in the morning and at night, every single day. Who is your favorite? Chandler. Mm-hmm. Ask me anything about friends and I will answer it. Really? It's so embarrassing, but I'm, I... watch
0: it maybe ten times, but I, every time I tell people that, they think I'm crazy. Every, think every morning, crazy. every night. Do you feel like they're your friends? <laughs> yeah. Me too. I know. Oh my god, we're like two losers <laughs> now, but... That's I'm true. I'm such
1: a... My friends know. They're like, my oh, friends again. But I love it. I love it. It's so... Do you so, just
0: like pay one episode and then just watch
1: I, it? I just... It's so comforting because I've watched it since I was a kid. So like having it on the background, it's just like... It's like a big brain hug. I know it's stupid and it's really corny, but it's so like... If I need to relax, just throw some friends on. Yeah.
0: actually... Yeah, I love friends too. So now is a package of question. Oh, um. uh, Use three or less words to describe the following.
1: Three or less words to describe the following. Okay. Love. Pain in the ass. (laughs) Nostalgia. Vintage clothing. Style. My mom.
0: Mama loves you.
1: Dreams.
0: (laughs) What scares you the most?
1: Being misunderstood.
0: If you could be born in any city in the world, which city would you pick?
1: I haven't been to enough cities to know, to really answer that.
0: But out of the cities you have been?
1: I guess New York. It's where my parents met and fell in love. And oh, really? Yeah, it's got like a, it's kind of the reason I'm here in this earth, I guess. So it's such an amazing city. So,
0: What does your dad do? What do you even talk about him?
1: He's an artist. He's a painter.
0: And he paints all these photos?
1: The, um, above the couch? Most of the ones on my wall are, are um his, oh, half of them are my mom, too. She used to paint back in the day. That's how they met then in art school.
0: Oh, wow. So romantic. And I know.
1: They met in art school and got like engaged after three weeks of knowing each other. Three weeks? Yeah, it's ridiculous. And they're still in love.
0: Oh, my God. Have you ever asked them, like, what's their um, secret sauce or anything? Secret sauce. Or anything that why they are so in love?
1: I don't know. I think they have a lot of passion.
0: Oh, so <laughs> cute. So in which era would you like to be born in? Not right
1: now. I mean, like has to be before. Mm-hmm. I mean, I w- I could say a vintage era, but I was born in eighty nine. I I like to stay born in eighty nine.
0: Yeah, yeah. Because but if you can travel back in time for me for a hundred days,
1: for a hundred days, God, being at like a club in the twenties would be pretty fun. Every <laughs> <laughs> <gasping> time, sure. <laughs> <laughs> or like you know, going to like a in the 40s like going to like see a big big band like swing band like dancing oh my god it'd be so fun too
0: uh a love note to a future self
1: It's just be kind to, to myself and take it easy don't I'm, I'm pretty hard on myself i'm my own worst critic so relax it's okay <laughs>
0: do you have three pieces of advice you can share if you lose all your memories and you don't know anything about life Oh god,
1: <laughs> it's depressing.
0: And these three memories, these three pieces of advice, are gonna guide you through your new life. Mm-hmm.
1: I guess, like, pick your friends and the people that surround you carefully. Like, I feel very lucky to have such amazing friendships and people who really love me for who I am and who really support me and my craziness. And um, be passionate. Like, do something that you you are really excited about and really passionate about because. What's the point if you're not super excited about some zipper? (laughs) My roommate yesterday told me that the name of my memoir should be Dating Boys and Dating Zippers. I was like, that's pretty funny. I like that. You
0: guys could talk about zippers for three days.
1: That's pretty intense. So lame. Oh, one more. Oh, gosh. One more piece of advice to guide me through my life.
0: And share with others. Or share with
1: others. It's just like yourself. I spent a lot of my life being really shy and really not liking myself, and it took me a really long time to be confident and like gain a voice at all. So just learn to love yourself in some way. It'll make everything so much easier.
0: Last, what are you currently seeking?
1: Love. <laughs> you know anybody?
0: Anybody. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: Are you singing Backstreet Boys
0: right now? Yeah. <laughs> <Everybody>, <laughs> and he just you, oh
1: my god. We play that pretty much every time we close the shop. Elizabeth's like, Backstreet Boys. And will oh put my it god, on.
0: god, I love Backstreet Boys. Everybody,
1: I have their That's so good.
0: So good. Let's conclude this. Thank you for coming. Oh, no, coming? <laughs> I live here, so thank you for coming. <laughs> but thank you for coming on the podcast. Sorry right? if I rambled on and on. It like an idiot. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's amazing to see how wide range of topics we have touched upon this episode. Maro is such a sweetheart. Make sure to head to dearestseekers.com to see her recommendations and all the home visit photos taken by my friend, you. And if you haven't done so, please head to Apple Podcast to leave us a review. It will really help us reach more women who might find these stories inspiring. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> and we can also be found on Spotify, Instagram, and Pinterest as Dear Seekers. So meet us there if you like. And this is it for the week. So see you in two weeks. Until then, happy seeking.